Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I am very excited today to talk with our new guest, and I will let you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do. Hello, Leah. Uh, thank you for having me on the podcast. Glad to be here today. My name is Zamir Shuko, and I'm a GP of Vibranium VC Venture Fund. We invest in early stage companies, uh, B2B SaaS technologies. Most of our investments are in the United States, but we're happy to look at uh, founders coming from overseas, from abroad, bringing their best ideas to the U.S. market. And uh, we try to be an active investor supporting our startups uh, in their journey of building amazing companies. It's amazing. How did you get started in this field? So for many years, since 2014, uh, me and my team, we've been building accelerators for startups. Uh, altogether, we built 42 programs, and most of them were in Eastern Europe and CIS regions. And working with hundreds of startups, you know, we've seen so many talented people, and we wanted to be, um, you know, an additional support in, in their journey. So we decided to launch our own venture fund, which uh, we opened up uh, in the beginning of 2022. And what is the best place to invest in startups? It's uh, Bay Area, it's Silicon Valley, right? The most talented people from around the world, they come here, uh, they try to make it, they uh, enter, you know, different um, top accelerators, etc. So, uh, we decided that being here physically uh, is the best place. And now, you know, we're enjoying building different partnerships with uh, all the local players and looking at the early stage deals here. It's amazing. What kind of changes have you seen in the industry in the last almost 10 years? Well, it's been a very interesting journey, really. And we've seen that IT products, software products, are penetrating every industry. And the more conservative industry is, the bigger the disruption that these software companies can bring. And that's what we've been doing in our accelerators. Basically, we would find this outdated old industry like you know, steel production or uh, you know, um, uh, lumber companies or logistical companies or uh, different uh, um, you know, big industrial uh, players in the market. And when you go into these large companies, you can definitely see that a lot of their processes are, are outdated. They don't use common, you know, um, common tools uh, and their data is scattered all over the place. They have a lot of holes in their security and, and the productivity is down because of that. So we started bringing innovative technologies and, you know, uh, startup founders and their software solutions uh, to these big companies and seeing, you know, uh, it's called incremental innovations. When you can implement something now, it is a working technology. And then you can see the results within several months already. So the return on investment is visible. Uh, it's You can really see it within uh, one calendar year. And uh, those types of innovations were the first step before these companies could ever go reach out for something, you know, three, five years away, like, you know, AI or neurotechnologies, some things like that, they basically need to switch from, I don't know, basic Excel to like more complicated ERP systems and CRM systems and those software that already exists in different aspects of, uh, you know, in different markets. But these uh, old school industries 
there's still ways to digitalize them and to actually help them be more productive and more efficient. So that was the big shift uh, that we're seeing uh, as we go for the past 10 years. And of course, COVID, you know, <laughs> there's a joke going around, you know, what, what was the biggest trigger of your uh, innovation strategy? Was it your CEO, your CTO or COVID-19? So COVID-19 was a big uh, push for a lot of these companies to finally say, okay, we understand that we cannot work the old way anymore. Now everybody's remote. Now we need tighter security. We need uh, new technologies to communicate with our employees, et cetera. So um, COVID really forced a lot of uh, large companies and large players to start implementing software and digitalizing their processes. You know, and uh, that uh, that helped many companies, many startups to grow. Of course, it affected a lot of industries like tourism, travel, you know, uh, supply chains, and um, some industries really suffered. Uh, you know, like restaurant, hotel businesses. But on the other hand, if you look at technologies that supported distant work, you know, data security, cloud services, all of those were booming and growing so fast. So um, we always see in, in our world of, of innovations and startups, we always see crisis as an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And uh, if somebody can really come up with a creative idea and solution for a big problem for a lot of people, that's your potential future champion. I love that. I know the past years have been so just crazy in so many different ways, but I really love that focus of seeing the challenges as an opportunity because there have been so many amazing startups built in the last few years that have come out of all of these challenges, whether it's COVID or financial crises, you know, all of the fun things we've lived through. So I love that. Do you primarily invest in software companies or do you invest in a wider variety? But we started as an industry agnostic B2B SaaS fund. Um, we do have some portfolio companies that have a hardware piece to, um, to their product. But typically, uh, we would say that we want like 80% of their revenues to come from the software part. Mm -hmm. right? And right now, we are focusing more on four verticals of what we're investing in. First of all, is business and productivity software. Uh, second is financial services, fintech um, applications. The third uh, vertical that we like is uh, media and information services and entertainment goes into that as well. And the fourth one is sales and marketing tools, you know, something that helps businesses to uh, reach out their customers better, uh, service them better, uh, you know, just bring the value to them faster. That's amazing. And what do you look for when you're investing in a company other than, I know you mentioned, you know, looking for software companies that can really innovate in an old market. Is there anything specific you look for in a founder or the team that you think makes it a winning team? So um, as many early stage investors say, you know, team is the core uh, um, because um, you don't have too many metrics to look at, right? I mean, they just started selling. They might have early sales. They might have some traction. They might have first uh, early customers, early adopters, and their technology is probably like on the stage of uh, just being built uh, with with their core uh, features. And they are still, you know, their product development map is very very long, and there's much more to build. So we do look at the founders, and uh, we try to identify uh, three things that these founders uh, are capable of doing. First of all, they need to have an ability to hire 
best people out there, best talents. So they have to have amazing soft skills and convince people to switch their, I don't know, corporate jobs with high salaries and benefits to come to a startup and try to fix a big problem in the world, but not have, you know, benefits in the beginning uh, because typically they don't have money to pay high salaries, but, you know, they give up options, et cetera. So it's convincing talented people to believe in your dream and come on board with you, um, you know, to do that, to build that company. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, these founders uh, should have an ability to sell to the best. And uh, of course, early sales is typically like, hey, you know, run a pilot, let's sign a letter of intent. Uh, let me get your your support, your expertise from a big corporation or a big, you know, big fund. Uh, it all depends. But still, you know, having some top brands next to you, next to your startup, having a good advisory board of people who believed in you and your idea and are ready to put their name there. It's always uh, a good thing. And the third is ability to raise from the best. If a startup founder can raise money from tier one funds, from tier two funds, uh, this is also great and amazing because th- those funds typically have, you know, tens and hundreds of people, of professionals who see many, many deals every day. So if they identified you as a potential champion and they, they bet their money on you, that means, you know, you're doing something interesting. I mean, it, 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 it's not a guarantee, of course. Uh, this is never like a 100% uh, win or lose. Uh, so um, we look at those three factors when it comes to the founding team. Of course, we want them to have some sort of domain expertise, and if the if they are serial entrepreneurs, if they had previous successes, exits, or maybe fails, uh, fails are also good. Uh, we believe that uh, you can learn even more from failing than from from winning. So if they had that past experience in building other businesses, uh, maybe classic businesses or startups, that's a, also a good experience that we look forward to. So that's when we talk about the team. What we look for when it comes to Technology, uh, of course, we're looking for some sort of a disruption. We want to make sure that whatever they're building is complicated enough that it has defensibility, that it's it's hard to copy, and it will take a long time for somebody else to to try to you know build something like that and compete. So there should be some kind of barriers of entrance to the market. Market should be large enough, uh, of course, for uh, and the growth of the market should be. Big enough. I would say maybe more more than ten percent of uh, annual growth uh, for the market. So there's enough room for startups uh, who are just coming into the market to grab some portion of that growth. Because if there are many players, and if it's a red ocean, and if there are you know big companies out there or startups who already raised many many millions of dollars, it's always difficult to come if the growth is small. So the Pie is not big enough for everybody to uh, to you know uh, to grow there f- uh, as quick as we accept uh, you know uh, as investors. So those are the things that we typically look at. And of course, finally, I would say that it has to be a match, meaning that uh, values of 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 our fund, values of the founding team. Uh, you know, during the conversation, you always feel that if this is the right match or no. If, if you believe similar things, if you kind of have same same visions about, you know, where the market is going, where the customers are moving, et cetera. So mm, there should be a match where 
we because we build these long-term relationships with founders, right? We, we don't just give them money and step away. We help them on on uh, on different occasions. We mentor them. We support them. We bring our contacts to them. So uh, this is like an eight to ten year relationship because we we come very early. Uh, so we want to make sure that there is a match and uh, founders also understand what kind of value add we can bring as investors besides the money. So I would say those are the things that we try to look for uh, in our potential portfolio companies. That's great. And given that you really do act as a mentor for you know the founders and early teams of these startups, is there a piece of advice you'd have for any entrepreneur who is you know in the early stages of starting a business there's so much going on. Do you have any big pieces of advice? Oh, there, there's so, so many things uh, we can say um, uh, because business consists out of million different tasks, right? And uh, there's uh, many, many ways to, to fail. <laughs> uh, but what we try to do uh, is, first of all, you know, because we have a background of building businesses ourselves, of course. So we, we come and uh, try to be hands-on with the founders. Uh, one suggestion I definitely want to give to everybody in terms of fundraising. Uh, a lot of times we see that people focus a lot on the pitch. So everybody keeps saying, okay, you need an amazing pitch deck. You need to know how to pitch your startup in 30 seconds, in one minute, in two minutes, in three minutes. Uh, so prepare for that. That's great, and it's it's good when you have um, a solid presentation about your company. But what a lot of early stage founders don't realize is that this is only tip of the iceberg when it comes to the fundraising process. Fundraising is just as uh, you would build your sales pipeline, right? There is a step by step process. You need you know top of the funnel. You need to create your databases. Uh, we definitely suggest to use kind of any kind of a CRM tool uh, to control all the communications that you have with your investors. Because when, when you try to raise your series seed, I would say you will go around and talk to maybe over 100 investors uh, in order to raise a few million dollars uh, for your company. Uh, and it will take some time and it will take a lot of effort uh, and your energy to do so. And you will hear a lot of no. You'll hear maybe, you know, 48 no out of 50. So please be prepared for that. It's not because uh, you're a bad startup or you're doing something wrong. Is it just uh, the reality of uh, investors is we see many deals every day. And uh, sometimes we don't see what founders see in their company. You know, we can overlook something we, uh, because, uh, you know, we have many things on our hands. Uh, so you should be ready to hear no. And uh, that means you just didn't find the right match yet. So just continue on moving, uh, continue on uh, working with more and more investors. Try to do your homework, uh, investigating who the investors are, what their portfolio is, what their focus is, uh, you know, what kind of conditions they come uh, onto, et cetera, before you even start the dialogue. So you got to uh, be well prepared for the dialogue. And especially when it comes to questions, because investors ask a lot of questions. We ask a lot of questions. So try to um, have all that data handy next to you. Build a simple data room. You know, Put all your financials there. Put all your legal papers there. 
uh, all your contracts, your pipelines. And I mean, there are examples of how the data room should look, but if you prepare early uh, with all this information, um, the, the likeness of you closing the deals are gonna be higher. And the chances of successful fundraising is gonna be, you know, is gonna be much higher if you're better prepared, just like anything you do in life. Good planning is half of, half of the success. Absolutely. And do you have advice for founders that are going through that process and are just struggling, you know, getting so many rejections? It can be pretty emotionally taxing to be pitching tens of people a week and hearing so many no's. Um, absolutely. You know, um, I would say try not to take it personally, because first of all, uh, it's not that uh, investors are um, measuring you as a, as a human being. They're just looking at the attributes of your startup. So try to kind of disconnect uh, the emotional part uh, of, of, of being rejected. Uh, sometimes investors give you feedback. And actually, whenever you get rejections, use them to become better. Ask the investors, yeah, thank you for, for your reply. And we appreciate your time that you, you, know, you looked at us. But could you give us um, a reason why you rejected us? And most of the investors will go forward and tell you why and use that information to become better. Work on your weak weaknesses, right? Uh, work on your gray zones. Uh, any negative feedback is actually good. Uh, it, it, it goes the same way for your customers, right? Potential customers. Whenever somebody doesn't want to buy your product, ask them why they said no and work on those things, uh, become better, become stronger. I can assure you that, you know, after you know, 20, 30 rejections uh, and hearing the same thing over and over, if you work on that with your team, make that piece of your product stronger, stand out better, and you know, bring some data to it, bring some research to it, et cetera, uh, it'll be much, uh, much easier to talk to the next investor. So use those rejections as a stepping stone for growth. I would say that. And don't take it, never take it personally, because it's not about you individually. It's it's about whether investor believes that what you're promising is going to happen, right? It is not evaluating your, your life achievements or anything like that. It's because you're promising something. And we as investors, we're like, okay, do I really believe that person? Do, can they pull this off? And if I do, then you know, we bet on this together. You bet your time and your effort, and we bet our money. But uh, you know, because we risk real money of our investors, the the risk tolerance is a little bit lower than the founders. So just consider those things. Try to think as investors sometimes uh, and uh, just use that to, to become better and stronger. That's great. And do you have anything coming up that you'd like us to share, promote that we should be looking out for? Uh, yeah, we have a couple of things coming up. So we are trying to be active players in the market, always supporting founders. We are serial entrepreneurs ourselves, so we have few hats, right? We always look at things at the perspective of how do you know founders uh, look at it. So we have uh, we, we're going to be planning an event uh, very soon. It's going to take part, uh, you know, inside of Saster annual event is going to be like a happy hour networking event. We'll. Uh, notify everybody about it. It's going to be September, uh, or beginning of September. And the second uh, piece uh, is we plan to launch uh, our 
soft landing program is going to be our second program. This is for founders interested coming to United States. Uh, if they dreamt about it, they already have a technology and they just want to move here. We're helping you to do so with our free program. It's free of charge. We're just doing it to, to support uh, companies and, and, and people coming over here, uh, opening and enhancing their businesses and, and raising money locally in United States. So those are the two things that uh, you know we would love uh, to share with you. And if you are a B2B SaaS startup interested in awesome investors uh, joining you and helping you with growth, please come to visit our website, Vibranium VC. Uh, you will see the uh, different criteria and metrics that uh, we typically look at in the beginning. And if you believe it's a fit for you, you can just hit the apply button and send us your application. We'll be happy to look at you. That sounds amazing. Well, thank you so much for all of the advice. I definitely took a lot out of this and I'm sure that everyone listening will too. Um, and thank you again for your time on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me.